0: Hello, and welcome to Banfield. If Ukraine somehow manages sooner or later to repel its Russian invaders, and that is a gargantuan if, there'll be a lot of reasons why. And I think we can start with this one. A convoy of Russian tanks on the move this week towards Kiev, Ukraine's capital, menacing, to be sure, incredibly lethal, but also sitting ducks for the Ukrainian defenders who clearly learned what the Russians clearly didn't all those years ago in Afghanistan. Take out the lead tank, take out the last tank in the column, and the others have nowhere to go. Ukraine's Defense Intelligence Service says a Russian colonel was killed in this debacle. How do they know? Well, it's quite simple. A Russian soldier inside one of those tanks said so in a radio transmission.
1: Nitro. Hello, Nitro. Yeah, Hello, Nitro. Dispatching. Nitro, it's me, Smash. Hello, Nitro, it's me, Smash. I'm listening. Smash, it's Nitro. We almost lost six battalion. What? Six battalion. I can't report it yet. Still collecting info. Too many losses. They have been waiting for us. The commander got ambushed. He died. About others, unknown. When you will find out, get everyone report to me. Understood? They attacked us, artillery, tanks, drones still flying, rest of the losses collecting data.
0: Ukrainians were then able to seize those tanks, at least the ones that could still move. And there they go. Analysts point out the convoy included a particularly nasty kind of weapon called a, thermobar- a thermobaric rocket. It's sometimes known as a vacuum bomb. Those things basically just suck up all the oxygen around them from their surroundings to make the explosions even more incendiary. They burn hotter, they burn longer, and they create pressure waves that can rupture lungs. And they are also banned near civilians. Russia used them in Syria, and the UK says they are using them in Ukraine already. But don't bother asking Moscow about them. The Putin regime did weigh in today on that craven attack at a children's hospital in Mariupol, the one where expectant mothers were trying to peacefully give birth. Now, the Kremlin says the bombing was staged. The hospital, they say, was a Nazi, a neo-Nazi barracks, and that a bloodied and pregnant woman whose photo was seen all over the world is instead a blogger wearing, quote, realistic Makeup. Little wonder the latest round of peace talks today went nowhere, just like those tanks. The president of Poland today called the hospital attack what it was. Take a listen.
1: It is obvious to us that in Ukraine, Russians are committing war crimes. If hospitals are bombed where pregnant women are staying, where children are staying, when ordinary people are killed, where bombs are dropped. When missiles are launched into residential houses where there are no military installations, then this is an act of barbarity bearing the features of a genocide.
0: Standing right beside the United States Vice President on a trip to Poland, Kamala Harris. So far, Poland, a NATO member state, uh, has taken in one and a half million Ukrainian refugees since this war began. And incidentally, if you are keeping track, that was just two weeks ago tonight. I want to stop here and let two very smart people break down all of these developments today and others that I haven't even mentioned yet. Linda Feldman is the Washington Bureau Chief for the Christian Science Monitor and was Moscow Bureau Chief before that. Hal Kempfer is a retired Marine Corps intelligence officer and CEO of Global Risk Intelligence and Planning. Welcome to you both. Hal, with your military background, I just want to get to, to the first uh, thing I noticed today, and that was, lo and behold, a Russian tank column was taken out the good old Afghan way, when the Afghans would hide in the hills and take out the lead tank and the aft tank and then slaughter everybody in between. Did the Russians not learn from the debacles in Afghanistan? Because it looks like it just repeated itself.
1: Ashley, it looks like they've forgotten the lessons of Afghanistan. Uh, I've seen I've seen some bad tactics with Russian equipment before. I saw it in the Middle East. But uh, what's, what, it, what you don't see is for those tanks to get there, there was a smaller uh, light-armored combat reconnaissance patrol that they let go through. That's their doctrine. So they let that reconnaissance patrol go through, and they let the line of tanks go, and the tanks go where tanks can't maneuver, around urban terrain. And then, of course, they took out the first tank, the last tank. I think they took out a middle tank as well. And they played on the psychology of the current makeup of Russian soldiers, which is they tend to panic. And when they get hit with that, there has been a proclivity for them to pop the hatch and go running. And then the Ukrainians come in and they seize the vehicles and drive away with them. It's one way to acquire equipment on the battlefield.
0: You know, I've spent some time uh, riding around in, in an M1A1 tank, but I am by no means able to scan the video that we're seeing now and be able to decipher those TOS-1 weapons that I just mentioned, the kind that basically are oxygen eaters banned around civilian areas. Are you able to see that when you looked at that video? Were you able to, to spot those weapons?
1: Uh, I don't know if they were thermobaric or not. I wasn't quite sure. Uh, the thermobaric weapons are, are are pretty horrendous. Only the Russians are using them. Um, they're fuel air. They're not banned by international convention, but they are very restricted. And you're not allowed to use those weapons where you would have civilian casualties. So it's, a, it's, a, it's against the international law of war to do that. There's very strict rules on how that's done. So it wasn't quite clear you know, some of the missiles are very advanced, and they have the ability to shoot laterally, then pop up and come down. So it could have been that as well, like a javelin, or maybe even a, what the uh, Brits make, which is a enlaw uh, light anti-armor weapon.
0: So, you know, a lot of people who were looking at this today uh, felt like that was uh, a surefire thing, that those were those thermobarics. And, and, Linda, that sort of leads to the other question, and, and that is if, in fact, mm-hmm. what the U.K. says is true, that Putin is using these weapons in civilian areas, which is clearly against all standards, all morals, all law, all convention, mm-hmm. uh, should we be so bold as to say, well, then convention, then chemical weapons and um, gas and and, God forbid, maybe even nuclear weapons, wouldn't be such a stretch for Putin. You
1: well, thermobaric weapons... Rodomir- if you, oh, sorry.
0: Oh, sorry, I was going to get Linda to weigh in on that one, Hal, just a moment. Uh, Linda?
1: Okay, sorry. Okay.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, with, with Vladimir Putin, as we've seen, uh, all bets are off. I, You know, we'd like to think that he's not going to go into chemical weapons and, heaven forbid, nuclear weapons, um, but we, we don't know what he's thinking. And... Uh, it's, I mean, he's he's already gone beyond what we imagined he would do, so let's just pray that he doesn't uh, go over that line and get into the really uh, massive, you know, weapons of mass destruction uh, mode in this war.
0: Yeah, but I'm sure, Linda, you also heard the debate going on, you know, mm-hmm. not just today, but it certainly was inflamed today. About these uh, mm-hmm. claims from Russia that the Americans have set up shop inside Ukraine and they're, they've they got all sorts right. of chemical weapons labs and biological weapons labs. And, you know, the mm-hmm. worry is, is that he's going to use this as a false flag or that he's going to use this as an right. opportunity to say, well, if they're using them, then I will, too. What is the validity yeah. and how easy is it to disprove the things that po- the things that just roll out of his mouth?
2: So with with Putin, I mean, he says he. This is classic Russian argument to accuse the other side of doing what you might do, and you know we can we can say this is ridiculous. He's fantasizing. This is absolutely not true. But but he, you know, we don't know what he's going to do, and uh, you know he's got an entire his entire country listening to state. State-run television, and a lot of people believe him and believe what he's saying. And so, uh, if you know, if he's going to go this far, it's it, you know, we we just don't know. We just don't know.
0: So, I want to switch gears slightly, uh, but still on the topic of you know heavy weaponry. Um, there was uh, again. Um, a reference made today to this growing debate and also confusing debate about Soviet-era MiGs that were left behind in Poland. The Poles want to send them to Germany and then have the Americans fly them into Ukraine to help the Ukrainians fend off the images that you're seeing, you know, right there. But help I'm not sure what what day it is, but every single day there seems to be a different Position or a differing position regarding these MiGs. And by the way, there's just delicious irony about Soviet MiGs fighting in to fight, you know, Russians. But but to that point, Kamala Harris said something in Poland today, and I want to play it and ask you something about it on the other side. Have a listen to this. I want to be very clear. The United States and Poland are united in what we have done. And are prepared to do to help ukraine and the people of ukraine full stop Okay, well that sounds clear enough but yesterday uh it, it wasn't that clear because john kirby at the pentagon said a line in the sand we're, we're just not going to do that the polls want us to do that and we're just not going to do that uh, you're a military man explain to me how we can be so different and i think the real question i'm trying to get at is we just don't know do we i mean is the Pentagon doing things that we just don't know? And I secretly think a lot of Americans hope they are.
1: Well, Ashley, the Pentagon is doing a lot of things. Uh, one thing that keeps coming clear is there is a, a steady flow of weapons that's going into Ukraine. Nobody really knows exactly how that's going in there. But obviously it's being done in a fashion where they're not going to be targeted by the Russians. So, yes, there's a lot of things going on which are being done in a way to avoid being targeted and taken out the problem with the with the planes which went back and forth on whether they're going to do that is the poles are going to send them to the u.s then they would be the u.s would own them then the u.s would give them to the ukrainians the ukrainians would fly them in it's a law of war issue and it deals with the perception of putin which is if those planes fly from nato airspace from a nato country are they combatant planes flying into uh to do war with uh with uh, russia and obviously putin says yes they are and we could have split hairs and said well the wep- they won't be armed while they're flying into the country or all sorts of things but frankly it it's a very difficult policy it's a difficult logistics thing but it's a very difficult policy thing and it's a legal issue and the polls move forward and we weren't ready to, to uh pick up on that initiative
0: so uh, this is a great map you know to for our viewers to look at uh, it gives a lot of perspective. Blue is NATO, right? All those European nations, and I'm not even including, you know, further west than that to the United States and Canada. Um, but red is Russia, and there's little Ukraine in the middle. And the perspective from Putin is that he's up against a growing blue threat. Um, how a little bit more red of Ukraine would help him is is kind of tricky to, to make the argument there. But um, But that's his perspective, right? So the question, I think, is... And I'm going to push it again, Linda, and I don't know where, where you fall in on this. A lot of things mm-hmm. are said publicly on microphones that aren't said in mm-hmm. war rooms. And sometimes uh, the, the public narrative is we're not doing something when clearly something is being done. Do you think that's a possibility with regard to the changing narrative we've been hearing from the White House to the Pentagon to the Polish uh, you know, Minister foreign ministry mm-hmm. um, to, to what might actually be happening as we speak?
2: In terms of potential uh, NATO involvement in, in fighting fighter jets, we're more than what I mean, we're seeing. Really, just the sending jets. the jets, yeah, uh, like
0: the sending those yeah. fighter jets. There's just the big debate keeps going back and forth, but somehow right. I kind of figure that's just for the public consumption.
2: No there's you know there's a lot of discussion about what we can be doing and I I'm not a military person I don't know logistically what's possible I mean we've heard arguments that there should be sort of a limited no-fly zone uh, over Ukraine that uh, that at least protects certain corridors to allow civilian evacuations um you know there are serious military people arguing for this and I know there's a lot of sympathy in the United States to get more involved and that we're we seem to be kind of splitting hairs in making this argument that that helping the ukrainians in this way would somehow uh you know mean that we're, we're fully at war with russia that there has to be some kind of gray zone there and i know a lot of americans hope that we that there's a lot that we're doing uh quietly and and secretly or at least secretly to you know no, no public acknowledgement that that is helping the ukrainians
0: so um I want to play something that I, I found just so intriguing, and this was a, a, an exclusive that News Nation, um, you know, got the other day with a former uh, KBG, KGB general, retired and obviously living in asylum mm. in, in Maryland now, in the safety of the American shores. Uh, this is a man who actually worked with a young Vladimir Putin and was his boss, and you know mm. describes these days that Putin would walk into his office, sort of this um, sycophantic young climber who just needed. Document signed I mean it was really interesting to hear his descriptions but I want to I want to play for you um, one thing he said that I thought was particularly chilling about where this end game is where Putin's head is and where this where this is actually potentially going H- have a listen to this
3: his own choice is to stay as long as he can in power he will stay for the rest of his life unless something happens you know he will never give up because he has no choice and uh, he knows he may be in trouble if he is. Uh, and he's a, well, I don't envy him, he's a lonely man.
0: He will never give up. He's a lonely man. So, Hal, just from a military standpoint, how does that factor into decision making? Are you, you know, if you're in the Pentagon, are you thinking that's an even more dangerous man than he was a month ago, or are you saying that's a man? If he's not stopped, it's dangerous. It's it's beyond dangerous for the world.
1: Well, within the Pentagon and and certainly within CIA and and other organizations, they're they're doing a, a, a very. They've been have they've had a very good psychological uh, assessment of him for some time. But they're looking at this now with everything going on, with the setbacks, with the military campaign. And I think that's what you see that rolls into the pushback on the, on the MiG-29s in Poland, is that we're afraid that he is uh, kind of on the edge. And we're not quite sure where his decision-making would be on certain things like, are is he at war with NATO is this an act of war? In fact, would he start using weapons? He's already talked about nuclear weapons before this thing kicked off. It's got everybody a little concerned. So we're, we're trying to, as far as I can tell, we're playing it very straight, very apparent, as transparent as possible, while providing as much support as we can to Ukrainians. But his state of mind is a big issue. Um, obviously, we'd like to see him uh, out of power uh, with whatever that infers, but uh, but that hasn't happened right now.
0: So, uh, Linda, I want to ask you about the other report at the top of this this newscast, and that was about the uh, the maternity mm-hmm. hospital and pediatric wing in mm-hmm. Mariupol that was bombed. Uh, we didn't know yesterday what the um, the casualty numbers would be, but it turns out um, seventeen wounded and three dead, and a child dead. Um, and then the statements that came from the the Kremlin that this was an actor's staged event with a blogger wearing makeup. Um, I mean, it's just, yeah. to, to the rest of the world, it's beyond the pale. But you worked mm-hmm. in Moscow, and presumably you know well how yeah. controlled everything is. Can't these stories bleed in through his iron curtain, his iron media curtain? Can't they get access to these stories to see for themselves just so how absolutely preposterous this kind of an explanation is.
2: So Russians are, uh, who want to really, who are skeptical of, of state media, they can get around. They can go through VPNs and, and try to get to Western media. But you have to be motivated, and that would be largely younger people. I think the bulk of the population, so you might get that kind of technological savvy, you know, in among educated urban people. But I would say the bulk of the population, probably two-thirds, uh, is if they're watching state TVs, they're probably, if they're giving it much thought, they're, they're believing it. I mean, it would be like, you know. Alex Jones and Infowars, who claimed that that uh, Sandy Hook massacre was crisis actors. This is the same level of, of preposterous claims coming out of the government. Uh, but, you know, there are people who believe that. I mean, in this country, it's a tiny, you know, tiny fraction. But in Russia, uh, you know, people are... Uh, used to watching TV and just, I mean, most people are just living their lives and aren't, uh, you know, worrying about the world. But I have to say, the economic sanctions, people are beginning to notice. Uh, you know, the ruble has plummeted. Uh, the McDonald's have all closed. That's huge. I was at the opening of the first McDonald's in Russia in 1990, and that was just thousands of people lined up for that and i mean mcdonald's is now part of the fabric of their life they have starbucks they have you know pizza hut they have a lot of western uh amenities and to to uh, to russians this was a sign that they had arrived that they were integrated in the world that's all ending and i think over time it's going to seep in that something really has changed regardless of what they're hearing
0: on tv I'm glad you mentioned that, um, because I actually stood in that line in 1991, <laughs> because that line was daily <laughs> for years and years and yeah. years. It was six yeah. hours long, and it took yes. a, an entire salary to buy yourself a meal at that McDonald's, and they happily did it. It was the most exciting thing mm-hmm. that was going on in, uh, in Moscow. Uh, Linda Feldman and Lieutenant Colonel Hal Kemper, thank you so much for this. I really appreciate your wisdom and your guidance in these really uh, trying times. Thank you.
1: Sure. Thank you, Ashley.
0: You know, the, um, the sheer terror of armed soldiers storming into your home amid a bloody invasion. What chance do you suppose this elderly couple in Ukraine would have in facing down four armed Russian enemy soldiers who were sporting automatic weapons and not afraid to use them? This was the scene. This was real. Southern Ukraine. We're going to show you what happened when the elderly couple decided not to hide but decided to confront those soldiers. And you can see what's in their hands. Nothing. Unarmed civilians against Russian invaders. See what happens when they began to fire. Breaking news to report, too, that has just happened even at this late hour. Uh, it's good news, too. Uh, the House has just approved an en- enormous amount of money in emergency aid for Ukraine. It's part of a bigger spending bill, uh, a $1.5 trillion spending bill. But the amount that's been earmarked to help in the Ukrainian effort, and that means help NATO efforts against uh, what the Russians are doing in Ukraine, that amounts to $13.6 billion. This is just happening now, the approval of that bill in the house so we're going to continue uh to see what uh, is the next step in all of that but that's got to be very good news for one vladimir uh zelensky who is holed up in a bunker and just hoping to hell that everyone will do everything they can to stop the bloodshed in his country short of that no-fly zone which is seemed to be a non-starter at least this will be very good news again 13.6 billion in emergency aid approved for ukraine in the house tonight uh, Watching some of the images that I'm sure that you have seen flooding out of Ukraine and right across your television set for two weeks, it is honestly pretty hard sometimes not to hearken back to the images from the Second World War, right? You know, marauding soldiers when they shot through locked gates of civilian compounds in the countryside to help themselves to anything they wanted, including the lives of the people within that's why the next video that I'm about to show you from a rural community called voznesensk that's just north of the southern port city of Odessa. Well, this video really had us on the edge of our seats today. Because it purports to show four advancing Russian soldiers armed with automatic weapons breaking through that blue gate over there of that elderly couple's home and then just storming right into their backyard. And instead of cowering inside and hiding in their home, that couple instead decided to, I don't know, bravely or foolishly, I can't tell which, uh, they decided to walk right outside into their garden and confront those enemy soldiers. There is a lot of yelling and there is a lot of noise and there's a lot of shooting and the scene is remarkably tense but it is important to see what happened next as the couple took on the soldiers unarmed with only their resolve come out
3: come out with your hands up come out come out who are you come out with your hands up who are you
1: who are you? What do you want?
2: We are
0: Ukrainians.
2: Quiet, quiet. What do you mean quiet? Why? You gonna shoot?
3: What do you want? Quiet, quiet. Calm down.
1: Where are you from?
3: We are from the same country like you. А Надив Civilian people shooting us. Don't come out outside the house gate.
2: Get the hell out of here. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: and just like that, they were gone. They did it. They had nothing, they were unarmed, they had a dog. And that elderly couple, those grandparents, were able to fend off four Russian soldiers and tell them to get the hell out. And it worked. I cannot tell you if those soldiers came back. And I can't tell you if that couple survived the waves and waves of intense shelling in the southern region near that key port city of Odessa. I can only show you that brief encounter and that enduring Ukrainian resolve coming up yes mcdonald's is packing up and pulling out of russia but the kremlin says all right fine we'll just flip the burgers ourselves and steal the golden arches hold it is that even legal huh <laughs> does legal even matter that story's next
3: mr gorbachev teared down
1: this wall
0: Ronald Reagan with a message for the Kremlin three decades ago, but today the message is from Ronald McDonald. After announcing this week McDonald's was shutting down all of its 850 locations in Russia, some curious things began to happen. First off, I guess the message came in loud and clear because check out this line at the drive-thru in Russia... These are customers who are desperate to get their last Happy Meal before it is gone for good. And then the second curious thing, Vladimir Putin just legalized patent theft from anyone associated with the brand he says is, quote, unfriendly to Russia. Seriously. Seriously. Russia's Ministry of Economic Development says that they are considering, and I'll quote them, removing restrictions on the use of intellectual property contained in goods and services whose supply to Russia is restricted. Translation, Vidanya McDonald's. We'll just flip the burgers ourselves. But thank you for your golden arches. And it's quite possible that you're going to see a run on hundreds of other products in Russia this week as well, from Nike to Apple to Netflix to Coca-Cola, because they also decided to pull out. And once they're gone, you might be able to find a Coke, but it won't be the real thing. Uh, as far as others, because the list keeps growing, investment banking giants um, J.P. Morgan and Goldman Sachs announcing that they are closing up shop in Russia, which is a pretty big deal because in Goldman's case, it's estimated to have just under a billion dollars in total exposure in Russia. And according to a statement from Goldman, quote, in our role as market maker, standing between buyers and sellers, we are helping our clients reduce their risk in Russian securities. Regardless of all of that, the ruble ain't the dollar. And poor Russians, and I mean it when I say poor Russians, they are now stuck with their rubles. They are not even allowed to convert them into Western currencies as their value continues to plummet right through the basement. And that's thanks to their president. Vladimir Putin said so, at least until September. Yet, Keep your rubles. And we'll see how wealthy you are in a couple of months. Whether this will translate to them saying, uh, maybe we should translate our president to something else. Well, that remains to be seen because so far, I don't really know about all the atrocities. We also have another update for you. Uh, last night, we told you about a suspected Russian spy named Elena Branson. Um, you heard about the honeypots, all the girl spies that go after, you know, men. Well, she was just charged with the crime of acting as an illegal agent of the Kremlin. She's suspected of setting up a whole bunch of meetings between Russian operatives and U.S. leaders. And she reportedly even had a pipeline right to the big man, Putin, himself. So now what we're learning is that Branson may have been playing a very long game. Uh, her own stepdaughter, Emily Branson, has now come forward saying that Elena's marriage to her father was a sham her father was a celebrated Princeton economist. His name was William Branson. And his daughter, Emily, says that uh, stepmom, Elena, just married him to get a green card and then used him to gain access to his elite inner circle of intellectuals and U.S. economists. And to make matters worse, that stepdaughter, Emily, says Elena just went ahead and blew through her dad's money. Emily tells the Daily Mail that she could see why her father would be attempting target for a Russian spy, because he worked with both the U.S. and then, of course, with governments all over the world. She says that she believes Elena's mission began more than two decades ago, uh, before the marriage to her father, and that was back in the mid-90s. Incidentally, if you're wondering where Elena is after this big announcement of the charges, well, she amssgrayed, fled from the U.S. for the safer confines of Moscow, and that was a year ago, um, actually two years ago, uh, October, October 2020. So officially, she is on the lam, but she is a wanted woman in a way she probably wasn't expecting. Still to come, uh, negotiating with Vladimir Putin. How do you even muster the confidence or the calm? To deal with someone they call a madman tonight one of the world's top spiritual teachers deepak chopra on the art of negotiation and his pathways to peace worldwide he's next tomorrow on morning in america here from the nation's farmers facing the impact of climbing prices right across the country and how their prices will be reflected in our prices. Join Adrian tomorrow, 7 6 Central. Welcome back to Banfield. When the French president calls what you've done an immoral act and an immoral act of war, you better believe he's not the only one saying so. Leaders around the world are condemning Vladimir Putin today, saying it may have been a war crime what we witnessed yesterday when his forces bombed a maternity ward, a maternity hospital, a pediatric wing in Mariupol. We now know at least three people died, including a child. Seventeen more were injured. For his part, Russia's president insists the hospital was actually being used as a base for extremists. But his foreign minister maybe didn't get that memo because... <laughs> Sergei Lavrov just flatly said, Russia doesn't bomb civilian targets. And that's the end of that. But while they go ahead and work that out between them, uh, what position does that leave the rest of the world? Should we send weapons to Ukraine, close the airspace and begin combat operations against Russian pilots who don't behave? Is a diplomatic negotiation even possible with Putin? He's been called a madman. Many times. And President Biden recently said that he doesn't believe Putin has a soul at all that would seemingly leave little room for negotiation. But I am joined by someone who knows all about finding pathways to peace and pathways to calm where they don't appear to be any at all. And it's Dr. Deepak Chopra, one of the world's foremost spiritual teachers. He's also the founder of the Chopra Foundation, a nonprofit focused on well-being and humanitarianism. He's written 92 books, and that was not a typo. It's actually 92 books, and the 92nd uh, is this latest one entitled Abundance. Um, Deepak Chopra, it's really great to have you on, and I'm actually so glad because I feel as though the last two weeks have been overwhelming just to turn on the television, let alone broadcast an hour-long newscast in this subject matter every day. So my first question is sort of broad and a little nebulous, but how do we process what we are watching right now?
3: From time to time, uh, a psychopath or a sociopath becomes a leader and surrounds himself, it's always a male, surrounds himself with other psychopaths and sociopaths who have no conscience. That's how we define a psychopath and they are faithful to the leader. Uh, the majority of the people are bamboozled by propaganda so they don't know how to handle it and that's my answer to your first question we're dealing well, with this somebody you called him a madman right
0: yeah and i think that the other part of the question is like a lot of people right away respond through charity and they give to the Red Cross and they give to UNICEF and save the children because there is just this feeling of helplessness. But even giving money doesn't help to get the helplessness to go away. And what are we to do about this? What else can we do?
3: You know that uh, video that you just showed of two elderly uh, people overwhelming four soldiers with machine guns that could happen on a mass scale it has happened in the past particularly when um, the Indian uprising took place the non-violent movement initiated by Mahatma Gandhi so imagine instead of those two elderly people if there was a mass uprising that would confront these brutal people and that would overwhelm them. And that can be orchestrated. You know, the only way to get rid of a leader like this is for their own people to actually overwhelm them. It cannot be done from outside forces. So now that you have so much ability to, through cyber you know, technology, to influence people through social media, through news networks, but also to actually invade the media space, the media space on a really mass level and not do so with aggression, but ask people, how are you doing right now? Can you be helped? What are the incentives you can have economically? What's going to happen to your children? What's going to happen to you? What's going to happen to your health? What's going to happen to your survival? Infuse that kind of, Motivation into a mass psychology. So the uprising is from within and that can happen. And that requires today's technology it doesn't require weapons. Sanctions are good, but they affect everyone. Sanctions affect because the world sure. is so interdependent.
0: Yeah, they affect us. I mean, your gas prices went up by about 20% overnight uh, in some places in the country. This is the, 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 your latest book. I still cannot believe that you've written 92 books. I had to double-check that number because I don't know anybody who's written 92 books. But its title is Abundance, the Inner Path to Wealth. And you've always been sort of the man that I thought, you know, finds the path to inner peace and seems to be able to um, understand the art of, of negotiation, too, between intransigent parties. But when you think of a man like Vladimir Putin, it's a little like a man who storms into your house and then uh, shoots up the place and demands that the negotiation will begin with me owning the top two floors. How on earth uh, do you even begin to negotiate with a partner like that?
3: You can't. You cannot negotiate with somebody who's insane and surrounds himself with insane people. But you can negotiate and start a process of conscious communication with the masses. Treat them with respect. Recognize that there's the perception of injustice on all sides. Be prepared to forgive, ask for forgiveness. Don't be belligerent. Use emotional intelligence don't stereotype and always recognize that ideological arguments don't work. They never work. So that's not, point the point is what will happen in five years if this continues or even six months what will happen if it doesn't what's the economic benefit and what will happen to the masses so the communication here and the negotiation here conscious communication has to be with the masses through media and technology you know there's so much technology these youngsters know everything how to do that combine that with really good conscious communication. What are we observing? What do we feel? What's the need of the moment? And expressing vulnerability on all sides, what's the solution collectively?
0: Uh, Dr. Chopra, it's it's really good to have you on. And I'm just glad to have a, a very peaceful conversation amidst such um, traumatic, you know, um and just overwhelming information every day. The images and the and the reports. It's been a pretty tough two weeks, I think, for for everybody, um, and particularly the people of Ukraine. Your new book is called Abundance, The Inner Path to Wealth. Thank you so much. It's uh, it's on pre order now and I look forward to our next opportunity to talk. Thanks, Defak.
3: Thank you. I really enjoyed the show. Thank you.
0: Thank you. So, you know, dealing uh, with Vladimir Putin is the topic of tonight's question. Uh, I earlier mentioned um, that President Biden says he doesn't believe Vladimir Putin has a soul. That is actually something that our president told Putin to his face. And tonight's question is, how did Putin respond when Biden told him, I don't think you have a soul? His chilling answer is right after the break. Before the break, I asked the question, uh, what did Putin say when Biden told him, I don't think you have a soul? And the answer, according to Biden, is Putin smiled at him and said, we understand one another. And if that doesn't chill you to the bone, I don't know what does.